Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Hey, it's back to school. We need to pray for our teachers. And I can't think of a group of people that have a tougher job than today's teachers. I mean, already... They're bringing you their little barbarians and they're asking you to make something out of them as if you could fix what's been messed up in the house. And, you know, it gets, it gets discouraging. It's got to because uh, you're spending your time trying to bring discipline instead of teaching and all the things you were trained for get thrown out the window and our hearts are with you. And then you add COVID to the mix and all of that. And <laughs> how do you do it? We want to pray for you, okay? If you're a teacher, would you just... Would you mind standing where you are as a teacher, like an educator? Would y'all stand? Um, Thank y'all for what you do. Stay standing, because stay up, stay up. I got. I want to pray for you guys, okay? And let's all not just now, but let's keep praying for them, Father. These teachers are going back in, and uh, some of them are going to war. Some of them have great classes with wonderful children and great parents and good support from the administration, and some of them don't have any of that. And they're dealing with the the product of a fractured and broken world and broken homes and broken lives, and, and they're trying to somehow piece those back together enough to teach them math and science and English and at the same time, teach them about life. And Father, I pray you'd use the influence of these educators that they would be your gifted instruments to this generation um, to model and to mentor the truths of Jesus Christ um, so that these children would see health and strength and joy and love. And Father, when they're down and when they're disheartened, help them to realize the importance of what they do. Nobody's doing anything more important than they are right now. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's back to school. And I always love back to school because I hadn't done anything wrong yet. Right? I haven't failed a test yet. I haven't gotten in trouble. I haven't spent any time in in detention. So back to school is always a great time for me. It's like a, a blank piece of paper. And as I was standing up here thinking about back to school and what, you know, a guy like me can say to, to guys like you, for some reason, I started thinking about these two sermon, sermons that I did, these two funerals that I did back in June. I did two funerals. And it occurred to me that as I was doing these funerals that I was talking about some of the most important things in life, but I'm saying them to someone who's at the end of their life. And, and I just felt the question, why do we wait until the end of life to speak about things I wish I'd have known at the start of life? And so rather than just waiting until you die and then saying words over you, I want to talk to you while you're still alive and speak truth into you. And so I'm going to borrow from those two funerals, and I want to give you six principles that will change your life forever, uh, that will not only give you a whole new perspective on this school year, but could really influence and impact your life for the rest of your life. Six simple things, okay? Here's the first one. Life is temporary. I know when you're young, it doesn't feel that way. It feels as if life's going to go on forever. Ezekiel 30 verse 20. All go to the same place. All came from dust and all return to the dust. 
You're made of dust. You're the stuff of dust. And someday your body's going to return to dust. Your body's just not going to last. Paul compared our, our physical bodies to tents in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4. He says, for indeed, while we were in this tent, we groaned. Isn't that brilliant? I mean, Paul was a tent maker by trade, and so that's what he did to make a living so that he could communicate the gospel. He, he worked on tents, and one thing Paul knew about tents is they wear out. That's the way tents are. Tent, tents were never meant to be permanent. You don't go and live permanently in a tent. Uh, a tent is a temporary shelter. That's how your body is. And he says, in these temporary tents, we groan. And I've got to tell you, the older I get, the more I groan. Uh, I, I groan when I sit down. I groan when I stand up. I groan when I move around. And my wife's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Why? She goes, you're groaning again. That's just what you do, you know. In these tents, we groan. I'm, I'm to an age right now that before I pick something up, I kick everything into a pile first. <laughs> that way I don't have to do it more than once. And I'm to an age where when I do bend over to pick it up, I ask myself, is there anything else I can do while I'm down here? <laughs> because I'm groaning. Tents aren't permanent. And here's the thing you need to realize. And I say this all the time. One day, every one of us is going to fold this old worn out tent up and hand it back to God. And when you realize that, you realize how temporary you are, you begin to understand how brief life can be. And that becomes one of the vital precepts of making your life count is to realize it's brief. Listen to Psalm 144.4. Man is a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And there's a beautiful play on words here. When God created man, the Bible says He created us from the dust. And in that moment of transformation, He breathed life into us. Genesis 2.27, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust, from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God breathes life into us. And when we're born, the first thing that we have to do is take a breath. And it becomes critical at the birth of every baby that that baby's got to take a breath. And they used to slap the baby. Isn't that interesting that you start life with a slap and a breath? And every day for the rest of your life, you have to breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And the minute you stop breathing, you stop living. So we started with a breath. The breath maintains us. And then the Bible says this, between my first breath and my last breath, life is only a breath. So breathe in, breathe out, it's over. Job 8, 9, for we are only of yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth or as a shadow. Look, I know when you're young, it feels like it'll never end. That you'll, you'll see one day when you get to be my age, everybody would tell you the same thing. Hey, enjoy it. It doesn't last. You know, they say that as you get older, life becomes like a roll of toilet paper. It, it moves faster as you get toward the end. And that's certainly the true in life. Because the crazy thing is, it was just yesterday when I was in high school. It was just yesterday I was in college. It was only yesterday I was uh, struggling with kids and struggling to make ends meet. It was only yesterday that I came to this church. Everything happened yesterday. And yet the Bible says, we're only of yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a mere shadow. So life is temporary. Recognize how temporary this life is. And if it's that temporary, here's the second principle, then you're not that big of a deal. If you're so 
temporary, then you're not that big of a deal. So don't think too much of yourself. Man, if I could say one thing to this world today is stop thinking so much of yourself. Everybody thinks they're so important. Everybody thinks that, that their opinion is so vital that we've got to share it every time we get the opportunity because if they could just hear my opinion, it would change everybody's mind. Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 2.16. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. You know, I hate to sound like a Debbie Downer, but we just aren't that important. Every one of us is going to be forgotten in a generation or two. I mean, you can begin to think, man, what I'm doing is so important, everybody will remember me forever. They're not going to remember us. One day I'm not going to be pastor of this church, and you know what? Nobody will remember who Bill was. And that's as it ought to be because you can't live in the past. You've got to live in the future, but you're going to be forgotten. Can you name the name of your great-great-grandfather? Your great-great-grandfather just a few generations ago. Do you even know his name? You know who knows his name? The people who are on Ancestry.com. But they don't really know who he was. They know when he was born, where he was born, when he died, when he got married, who he got married. But they don't know anything about the character of his heart. They might even know what he did for a living, but that's about it. They don't know the guy. And if his name hadn't been recorded somewhere, he'd be all but forgotten. You know who he was important to? Your great-great-grandfather? He was important to your (laughs) great-grandfather. And you don't know who that was either. Just a few generations and all is forgotten. Even the great people who marked the earth and did such profound things. Can you name 10 pharaohs of Egypt who in their day were the most powerful men on earth? We're forgotten. I hate to tell you that. And uh, so stop thinking so highly of yourself. I mean... Yeah, I have a strong sense of personal value, but don't overblow this thing. We, we've, we've, we've taken this sense of, of importance of self-value and we've turned it into self-importance. And there's a fine line there because that, that self-importance gives us this concept of entitlement. And I think entitlement is at the core everywhere of the conflicts that we see. I keep reading stories about, uh, and maybe you're, you're seeing them too, flight attendants are struggling to keep people restrained on airplanes. Have you seen this? It's like there, I guess there are a group of people who just feel like the rules don't apply to them and that they should be the exception to everyone else and I'm not going to do what everybody else wants to. And so when they put us in this can and, and, and ship us out at 33,000 feet going 600 miles an hour, they feel like they can still do whatever they want. But that's the age we live in. The Bible says that if you sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. And man, we're reaping what we've sown for the last 40 years or so. Uh, We've been told uh, time and again that the most important thing in life is to love yourself. Isn't that what you've heard? Maybe you're still hearing that. Last week I was finished uh, and I was standing over by this door and one of our college girls, Leah, Leah Waller, came walking by. And she stopped and she came back and she said, I just want to thank you. I've been thinking about this sermon that you had given on gratitude and how gratitude creates humility and the importance of that. And she said, and I was thinking about this and the Lord just put this on my heart. And listen to what she said, because this is such a powerful insight from one of our young college girls. She said, our generation has always heard, love yourself, love yourself. It's so important to love yourself. 
She said, if we only love ourselves, then the only person loving us is ourselves. If you only love yourself, then there's nobody else to love you. Isn't that a profound insight? Maybe that's why everybody's so lonely and why everybody's so angry. We were so busy loving ourselves, we didn't love anyone else, so the only one loving me is myself. You know, selfishness always leads to greater loneliness. It always leads to greater loneliness. I distinctly remember reading years ago of this teacher in her classroom, and teachers, I don't recommend doing this, but she had her little kids in the classroom sit down and write out all of the kids in the class that they didn't like. Write on it, make a list of all the children in this class that you don't like. And she said some of them made long lists. They could think of a lot of kids they didn't like. Other kids were struggling to even name anybody. They couldn't think of anybody they didn't like. And when she picked them up, what she realized was the children with the longest list of kids that they don't like, their names were on the most lists of those who are disliked. And her insight was the ones who disliked the most kids were the most disliked. And I thought, man, be careful. Those of you with long lists of everybody you can't stand, guess what? You're on all their list. <laughs> they, they can't stand you. Because selfishness is always an isolating thing. If you love yourself and yourself only, then there's nobody left to love you. And the ethic of Christ runs so counter to this. It's completely counter to the platitudes of our so-called intellectuals. Jesus said to be the first, you got to be last. To be great, you got to be least. He says, you know, they're, they're saying love yourself. In other words, you need to be more self-focused. Jesus says build your sense of worth and value on what I say about you and then lose yourself. It's the ultimate countercultural perspective. Let me show you something. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. We always read Romans 1 and 2. We never read 2 and 3. Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know that one. And then verse 2 sort of builds on that, and it says, and do not be conformed. You see that? And that word means to be pressed into a mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and really, that's at the core of what, of what sanctification is, as, as at the point of salvation, we repent of our sin. You know the word repent, you know what that really literally means? It means to change your mind. Metanoio means to change your mind. I'm going this way. I change my mind. I'm going this way. And then through the process of spiritual growth and spiritual discipline, the Word of God begins to be poured into your mind. The Spirit of God takes that Word and it transforms and renews your mind so that you begin to see life in a completely different way. Some of you guys are getting it. I've seen this tremendous transformation through the retreat ministry as guys who saw life a certain way now see it a completely different way. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now verse 3. This is the part we never go to verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, here it is, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. You see that? One of the evidences of a transformed mind, of a, you, you guys want to be countercultural? You want to be revolutionary? Then stop being like everybody else. 
Because the word said, the world says, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. And the Bible says, love God and lose yourself. Because God loves you fully, you can feel satisfied in that. Now forget about yourself and go surrender yourself to his purpose. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. You know what's interesting? Those two funerals I did back in June, both of those guys were collegiate athletes. One guy played fullback for ULM. The other guy was a quarterback for the University of Houston. And here's what's so interesting to me about those funerals. I've known those guys. They were members of the church. I did their funeral. I had no idea either one of them was a collegiate athlete. If I'd have been a collegiate athlete... You wouldn't be around me five minutes. You wouldn't know I'd been a collegiate athlete. I can tell you that for sure. You say, how would I know? Well, for one thing, I'd still be wearing my letter jacket. <laughs> You'd be like, Bill, it's summer, man. Isn't it kind of hot for a jacket? No, I'm good. I'm good. Sweat pouring off of me. I got the letter jacket on. And secondly, I would figure out a way to work into every conversation that I was a collegiate athlete. You know, that's like the time I was playing quarterback at the University of Houston. Yeah, how does that have to do with anything? Have I ever told you I play quarter? Yeah, I've heard that, Bill. Like every time I talk to you. But these guys never mentioned it. I had no idea. And you know what I realized? They had gotten over themselves. They had learned the value of priorities and other things had become so much more important that their perspective was humility. Life is short. Don't take yourself so seriously. And at the same time, don't waste your life. That's the third thing. Don't waste your life. Clint Black used to sing this song, Killing Time. He'd say, this killing time is killing me. And man, I see a generation that's just killing time. Strung out on video games, hung up on porn, addicted to social media. And all the while, time's just sliding by. And you wonder why it seems so meaningless. Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Watch this, underline this, verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Can I translate that for you in modern terms? Making the most of your time. Here's what he really said. Put down the iPhone, put down the game controller, stop living vicariously and go have a life. That's, that's what he really meant. What are you waiting for? At the end of the day, do you really think you'll care how many likes you got in a picture? You're standing before Jesus, and it's like, Jesus, I had 400 likes on that one video I posted. It had 2,000 views. <laughs> do you think he cares? Do you think it really matters how many aliens you killed in Call of Duty? Or how many costume and weapons upgrades you got in Fortnite? I don't care if you're that pink bunny. You know what I'm saying? What in the world? If I just play another 400 hours, I'll get the pink bunny costume. Seriously? Is that what life's about? Come on. Don't waste your life. Stop wasting your life. Ask God what He made you to do and then go do it. Know the Lord. Share the Lord. Speak truth into life. Stop being so afraid. Be courageous. Don't be afraid to be countercultural. Look, there's no adventure anywhere close to the adventure that comes through being a wide-awake follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing even close.
It's going to take you places you never thought you could go. It's going to introduce you to people you never thought you would meet. And it's going to show you things you never could have seen. But you've got to quit wasting your life. So many people today are living vicariously as if this were some sort of dress rehearsal and they're going to wake up one day like the V8 commercial that says, oh, I could have had a V8. They're going to hit themselves upside the head and go, man, I could have had a life. Too bad I wasted it. Life is brief, man. This is not a dress rehearsal. Stop wasting your life. And then get control of yourself. Or better statement, let the Spirit take control of you. Ephesians, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. See that? Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our own life. Man, I look at our world today, and you know what I see? I see people that are out of control. People are screaming in the streets, tearing down buildings, fist fights at stoplights, fist fights at gas stations. Man, just don't let that be said of you. Because we're called to something different. We're called to gentleness. Matthew 5, 5, he says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle. And that word is often translated meekness. Blessed are the meek. But we think of meekness as weakness. That's not really what it is. It's prous is the original word, prous. It doesn't mean weakness. He's not saying everybody's got to be like, you know, some milk toast dude who gets stepped on and walked over. That's not what he's talking about. Women, he's not talking about you staying in a relationship where that guy's abusing you because you think you're being meek. That's not what it is at all. It means inner dynamic that's under control or has been tamed. The, uh, the word was often used of horses and training horses. You had this powerful stallion that had been broken and trained and taught to be obedient to its, uh, to its master. That's the idea behind that. It means a great power that has been brought under control. And that's our calling because Jesus was meek. And Ephesians 5.1 says, Be therefore imitators of Christ as dear children. We're called to be what Jesus was, and He was meek. So let's, let's say, get control of ourselves. We live in a world that is out of control. They're, they're restless and bored and angry because life's not going the way it should have gone because I was entitled because they told me I was the exception to the human race and everybody else is acting like they're the exception to the human race when everybody knows I am. And James says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not your source, your, your lust which wage war in your members. You lust and don't have, so you commit murder. I mean, he's talking about it. Life is short. We need to live it in discipline and under control. And then don't fall in love with the scenery. If it's transient and temporary, then we're only passing through. Now look, enjoy the scenery, Okay. Enjoy it. We live, God has put us in this amazing place called earth. And there are so many things to see. And there's so much to enjoy. I love looking at life through the eyes of our grandkids. You know, we had them over yesterday. And it was so fun just to watch them. I got Bears 5, Garnet's 4, Little Finn is 2. And yesterday, I don't know what happened, but it was like, it was like, uh, it was like the Kratz deal. We, we were all about little creatures, and they found a, a green frog, and, and there was a mystery to this green frog. And they carried that poor, suffering frog around all day long. I always feel sorry for whatever animal they capture because they're going to love it to death. 
Garnet had a butterfly, and she had rubbed all the stuff off the poor butterfly's wings. And they had caught a cicada, and uh, they had a cicada. And they had a, a gecko, and the gecko's tail came off, and it was wiggling. I, I think it was a gecko. I don't know what it was. It looked like a lizard thing. And uh, so they're fascinated with that. They found, a bull, they found a toad, but they didn't want to touch it. It was gross. And, um, but, but the other day, uh, Bear had found a cicada, and he was carrying it everywhere, and he would hang it on his clothes like it was like an ornament or something. He'd walk around. The, the thing's like half dead, you know. To catch a cicada, you're catching one that's basically given up on life, right? I don't know what happens. Maybe he got depressed. I don't know. But he just sort of gave up. And he hangs that cicada on his shirt. He's walking around everywhere, and every, every so often it'll go, eh, you know. And Amy's like, you know the cicada? You know what a cicada is, Bear? You can hear them. Do you hear them listen? And Bear's like, where, where? And she's like, listen. And you can hear the cicada sound in the trees. And she goes, it's that sound that goes, ah-chee-chee-chee-chee-chee-chee-chee. And Bear looked at Amy in wonder and said, Mamie, do you speak cicada? <laughs> We have so much fun with that, just the idea of him thinking she could speak cicada. And when we hear the cicadas, I say, Amy, what are they saying? You know? (laughs) That's the wonder of a child. And look, you don't want to lose that. You don't want to give up on that. I mean, you still enjoy the scenery. It's a fantastic world God made. This is my Father's world. And enjoy every minute of it. Just don't fall in love with the scenery. That's all I'm saying. First Peter 2.11. Look at this. Beloved, I urge you, and here's the key, circle these two words, aliens and strangers. I urge you as aliens and strangers. Do you understand what he's saying there? I urge you as aliens and strangers. You're vagabonds, you're gypsies, you're travelers. This isn't home. You're an alien on this planet. You're a stranger in this world. Abstain from fleshly lust, which weighs war in the members. But understand our place. We are vagrants and vagabonds, and this isn't home. So don't fall in love with the scenery, because not only are you not going to be here long, you can't take any of it with you. You leave, your stuff stays. If that's true, why are we so enamored with stuff? We have, we, we, we know, I can't take it with We saw King Tut's tomb. You know, he thought he could take it with him, and he was gone. His tomb was full of all of his stuff. You just don't, one time, Andrew, when he was little, um, he always had a sword with him or a knife or something. He was always armed to the teeth. And, uh, you know, he'd walk into church in his Ninja Turtle uniform with his ninja swords and his swords and his swords crossed over in his back. And I remember the youth guy goes, ooh, Andrew, you look dangerous, you know. And he'd swell up. He loved Darkwing Duck and Let's Get Dangerous. But one day he found a club. It was a perfect little, real wooden, real gnarly limb, what it was. But it had sort of a knot on the end of it. It looked just like a shillelagh. And man, he fell in love with that club. Everywhere he went, that club was with him. He took some tape and made a handle. He was in love with that club. Slept with it. And one day he's holding it in his hand. He's about six years old. And he looks at me and goes, Dad, if I die with this club in my hand, will he go to heaven with me? And I said, buddy, I hate to tell you, but you go, your stuff stays. <laughs> There's a lot of people that live as if that were not the case. 
We fall in love with the scenery and we fall in love with our stuff and we don't realize we're transient. Life's short. Here's the last one. Be prepared for eternity. Life is a breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. It's a breath. That's what the Bible says. It's shadows. But eternity's forever. You think about it. The minute you die, you begin your first 10,000 years in heaven. If you know Jesus. And the Bible says that how we experience eternity is directly tied to the choices we make in this life. So here's the question. Are you prepared? You know, here's the thing about funerals and why they differ from back to school. Back to school is a starting line, right? New year, fresh opportunities, life is long. Sometimes it feels like school will never end that life is so long. Funeral's a finish line. Time's up. Life is short. Back to school makes us feel as if life never ends. Funerals remind us that every one of us had an expiration date already stamped in our DNA the moment we were born. Hebrews 9.27 And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Are you prepared for that? Are you ready for that? I mean... If this was your final day on earth, are you ready? If judgment was today? I mean, life is brief and judgment's coming. And the Bible says that at the great throne judgment that every person is going to appear before the Lord and every person is going to give an account to every thought, every word, and every action. That means that every sin that we've ever done is going to be played out before our very eyes, before the, before the Lord at His great throne judgment. And how are you going to do in that day? I mean, how are we going to say, God, you know, <laughs> just ignore that part. I'm a pretty good guy except for that. See, here's the problem. The wages of sin is death. That means the paycheck for sin is death. So the minute we sin, all of us come under the, the justice and the judgment of God. And we're in a hopeless and lost condition at that point. And anybody that passes through judgment is going to fail that judgment. God is never going to acquit you of your sin. It's just not going to happen. You say, well, then what do I do? Here's the good news. You know, we call it the gospel because it's good news. Here's the good news. The good news is salvation is not earned through merit. Salvation is received through faith. We don't get acquitted at judgment. We get pardoned. John 5, 24, Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, look at this, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but passes out of death into life. You're like, wait a minute. I thought, I thought the Bible said, for his appointed un, unto every man wants to die and then judgment. But here it says, he does not pass through judgment. How does that work? Well, it works like this. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he took the judgment of God upon himself. God judged sin through Jesus on the cross. He became your substitute. We call that grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God poured out through Christ on the cross. But that doesn't mean everybody receives it because the Bible says every one of us has to come to a place where we personally receive the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. 
For by grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not the result of works that no man should boast. It's not achieved, it's received. And the moment you receive the grace of Christ over your life, you pass from judgment into life. Billy Graham used to describe it this way. He said that every one of us is going to stand before God and our whole lives are going to be played out on a screen like this one behind us. But then a person will come up and stand before the Father and God will say, is his name written in the Lamb's book of life? And they'll look up that name and his name is in the Lamb's book of life because he placed his faith in Christ. He said at that moment, God will reach over and unplug the jumbotron and say, you keep walking. And because of that, you can know for certain that you have eternal life and you can be prepared. One of my favorite verses, Paul at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Paul's in the Mamertine prison beneath the streets of Rome. He's in the lower area. He's awaiting execution. He knows it. He's about to go before Nero. He knows Nero's going to condemn him to death, and he would eventually be beheaded on the Ostian Way outside the streets of Rome. And so Paul knows it's the end. So he writes, he fires off this letter to Timothy, get here as quick as you can, make every effort to come before winter, bring the parchments, bring the books, bring my coat, I need my coat, I'm cold, but mostly Timothy, I need you because I'm in this alone. Get here as quick as you can. And he says, I'm, being, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. But then he makes this statement in verse 8. You ready? He says, in the future... In the future, you're like, wait a minute, what future does a condemned man have? In the future, he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He gets a crown. It's not diadem. It's not the diadem crown, the crown of the king. It's stephanos. It's the crown of the victor. In the future, there's laid up for me the stephanos, the the crown that they give the victor, the the wreath uh, that they would give them in the Olympic Games. It's the gold medal. Not a gold medal that he earned, but a gold medal that Christ had put on his heart. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge... Mm. will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who've loved His appearing. Where does confidence like that come from? From His works? Now, Paul will be the first to tell you. It comes from the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. Life is brief. If you've sat with as many people who've died as I have, if you've done as many funerals as I have, you would know that. It's brief. And there's no guarantee for how long any of us are going to be here. Some people live into their 90s and above. Some people don't get that many days. We've all born with an expiration date. Our days are already numbered. Aren't you glad you don't know that number? So if it's so brief, then make it count, man. Quit thinking so much of yourself. Make your life count. Let the Spirit control you. Don't fall in love with the scenery and be ready for eternity. You ready? I told you six things that will change your life forever. You ready? Let's pray together. If you're not ready for eternity right now, here's here's the prayer that you can pray. God, best I know how, 
I'm just receiving the grace of Jesus Christ in my life by faith. I don't understand everything that, that I'm supposed to say, but I just admit to you that I'm a sinner, and I thank you for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that your word says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We thank you, Father, that we don't have to worry and wonder. There's so many people in our world who, who live in doubt and they're doing the best they can. Paul didn't say that. He said, in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And so I thank you for the confidence we can have that one day when we stand before you, we pass from judgment into life because of Jesus. Father, you've given us these lives. Help us to use them. Father, we purpose before you that we're going to count our days. We're going to make the most of our time. We're going to stop wasting our lives. We're going to ask you through the Spirit to control us. We're going to, Father, we're going to enjoy this world you've given us, but we're not going to fall in love with it. We're not going to take ourselves so seriously. And we're going to be ready on that day when we stand before you. Make us ready, Father, in every way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.